It's now our privilege to open scripture together. And once again, we're back to Ephesians. Um, We'll be in chapter 3, starting on page 1820 at verse 14. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. This is the culminating passage, the the climax, if you will, of of the first three chapters. This is is where Paul, in the tail end of this, gets excited in the the now to him who is able. He, He starts overflowing with joy and excitement because of God's goodness and God's abundant, lavish grace. Before he gets there, he, he does something. He, he enters in to where he anticipates the people to be at. You see, if, if we trace back where what we have been hearing in these first few chapters, he's, he's talked about the cosmic grace of God and, and the, the work God is doing to make all things new. And, and he's even talked about how we have been drawn into the very throne room of God. We have been given privileged access to be in God's presence. I have to think that some of the people sitting there in Ephesus as this letter was being read went, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. In God's presence, I I heard His grace. I I hear that that we're saved by grace alone, but, but does He really know what I've done? I mean, you think about Ephesus. There wasn't a spiritually innocent person there. It was a a city in the crossroads of the Roman Empire. It was a city that that had every opportunity afforded to it. It was a city that had all sorts of wealth, all sorts of, of military might and resources. And on top of that, it was a city that had Artemis' temple. It was a city that thrived on making idols and selling them. It was a city that spent itself spiritually to try and find access to God, to try and make itself appeasing to God. 
book of Acts, uh, remind us, we mentioned this earlier, but in the book of Acts, when Paul's visiting Ephesus, it, it talks about how he stayed there. And, and the people, as they came to know Christ over the, the multiple years that he was there, they started giving up all of their magic scrolls and selling them. And it's, it's an absurd amount, I forget the exact amount, but an absurd amount of money that they had spent on magic scrolls. I mean, if nothing, the volume of scrolls that they were purchasing tells you about the spiritual hunger that that city had and all the different ways they were willing to go about to try and make, make themselves acceptable to God, to try and make themselves gain some sort of access to God's presence, to try and find a way on their own to get into God's good favor. That city had done so many things. And here they were coming to Christ and they realized that they have to let this life go and, and so they burn those scrolls but then they hear, they hear they've been ushered into the throne room of God. That's where we ended last week just before Paul writes what, what Brian read. That, that the people of God have been brought into God's presence, not by their own doing, but by God's good favor. And I have to think, they get there. They go, oh no. Oh no. What if what I've done really comes out? What if other people gathered here really knew what I had been doing? What if they discovered those sins that are in my past? Now what? What's going to happen if the truth about me comes out? There's an old tradition, somewhat played in the background of the Christian Reformed Church, but it comes out of the Dutch Reformed tradition, and not just the Dutch Reformed. It's in other traditions as well. But the idea was that, that you couldn't take communion until you were on your deathbed because you might eat it or drink it unworthily. There might be some secret sin in your heart that you have not confessed, and because of that, you dare not take those communion elements because you are going to be eating and drinking condemnation upon yourself. It was looking at those elements of grace, and it was saying, God, I believe you have saved me by grace. I believe that you forgive me of my sins, but... Those sins, they're so big, they're so heavy, they're so all-consuming that I dare not receive your grace. I dare not. And in some sense, in some sense, that idea was to say, I'm still not good enough. I'm still not worthy of taking those elements. I'm still not worthy of being in God's presence. And it's not just inside the church. I've talked with many people outside of the church who, who will say, I can't even enter the church building because of what I've done. God would not accept me if God really knew everything I've done in my life. We feel those sins, don't we? 
I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a hard time being quiet in our cars and turning the radio off and just being in silence in our cars because we're afraid that the stuff inside of us is going to come out. We don't want to stand and look in the mirror at ourselves for very long. Not because of pride or vanity or fear of that, but because it is difficult to look at ourselves honestly. To say, yeah, I've got sin. I've got brokenness in my life. And it's even harder to take that sin and brokenness and come to a place like this where we we dress up. We might not be in the three-piece suits that have been in the past, but we still change our clothes and dress in something a little nicer than our everyday wear. And we come in here and, and we come and we have everything together and yet inside we go, it's not all together. We hear about God's grace. We hear it preached. We hear it proclaimed and we have a hard time letting it sink in. This passage from Paul is meant to speak grace to those who are us who have come to Christ, who have come into the the realm of God's kingdom, who have entered into God's presence and yet feel the weight of our sin in our own souls and in our hearts. Walk around fearful that if anybody really knew what we were like, if anyone really knew the sins we've committed, well, there would be no place left for Paul begins by saying, I I kneel before the Father from whom all families on earth get their name. He's doing something powerful and transitioning towards grace and and helping the people in Ephesus to understand the, the wide reach of God's grace. He's going back to an older idea in the Hebrew of household, in a, a household, a father's home. This came up earlier in chapter 2 in talking about oikos and the the household of God, the family of God in which we have been united together as God's people. And and Paul's picking up that again here, that idea of a a father's household. In the Hebrew mindset, a household consisted of somewhere 30 to 40 people. It was the, the oldest living male in a family line and all his children and grandchildren and great grandchildren but also all the servants attached to the family and any foreigners who happened to be staying in their residence or on their property as a a migrant worker, if you will, or a refugee from another place. So anybody in that household, quite typically it would be 30, 40 people. It could get upwards of 80 or 100 people depending on how many kids and grandkids were there. But that family, that family unit, that household, became the place where, where there was safety and security. It was the place where people would come to your defense if you got in trouble. It was the place where, where the laws of Jubilee were at work, or at least they were supposed to be at work, where if you ran into financial trouble and you couldn't provide for yourself and your kids, someone else in your household did. They stepped up with the resources to take care of you, to make sure that the poverty you were experiencing never extended beyond the next generation. There was a way of coming around each other to say, we've got your back no matter what. 
became a place of refuge, of shelter. You see it in Jesus telling the parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And as the, the son has run away, he's disowned the family, he's dishonored the family in every way imaginable. And yet, when he comes to the end of his own means, where the, the food being fed to the pigs is even too rich for him to afford, he comes home. And in coming home, he finds this welcome from the Father that is so lavish, that is so over the top, that says, yes, you were dead. You were dead to us as a family. You walked away. You disowned us. But you've been welcomed home. You've been welcomed back into the household. There is still a place for you. In fact, let me put my ring on you and put the clothes of sonship back on you. That you may know that no matter what you have done, no matter how much you have dishonored us, there is a place for you here in this household. Paul, Paul says these amazing words of grace. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets its name. Everyone is in the Father's household, which means the Father's basic posture is not one of wrath and judgment, not one of hatred, not one of, I'm going to destroy you, I'm out to get you, because of what you have done. But the Father's basic posture is one of, come home, come into my house, be part of my family. I desire you and long for you to be here. While speaking these words of grace, this, this positioning of the Father, not as a judgmental Greek God, but as a loving and benevolent Father who desires for all of his family to come home, no matter what they've done. And Paul goes on, and, and there's so much in this text, we can't unpack it all, but, but he gets to a point as he's saying, he, he says, here's the content of my prayer. When I'm in the throne room with God, here's what I'm praying for you, people of Ephesus, that you would begin to realize that the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father in Jesus Christ, is wide and, and long, and high and deep. In other words, it surrounds us completely. There's no way that we can outrun it. There's no way that we can, we can avoid it or get beyond it. It is so expansive that God's love wraps us in completely. Think about that image for a moment. He, he does something that's rather unusual here. If we measure things, typically in the construction business, we want to measure things in three dimensions, right? We want to measure how, how high is it, how, how thick is it, how long is it. We, we need those three dimensions to know what we're, what we're doing. And that's typically what we operate. In fact, we go to movies and we talk about them being in 3D because there's those dimensions of depth being added to the, the width and the height. Paul here is saying it's even bigger than that. It's bigger than our normal way of measuring things. In fact, if you think about it, the only place where you can measure depth below you, height above you, width beyond you, and length going on, the only way is if you're caught up in the middle of it. 
If you're sitting on the bottom, so there's nothing below you, you can't measure the depth anymore. You can only measure the height. And yet what Paul is saying is find your lowest place. Hit rock bottom. And yet, God's love for you people of Ephesus is even deeper. It goes below your rock bottom. Name your most atrocious sin, people of Ephesus, and you will discover that the grace of God in Jesus Christ is even lower than that. It goes below you to pick you up, to bring you home. Paul's, Paul's prayer is not that they, people of Ephesus, that you would go out and change the world. Not that people of Ephesus being caught up in the, the heavenly realms with God and seated there with Christ Jesus, that you would know your power and be able to, to have authority to cast out demons and to transform the political structures of your world. Paul's prayer is that being caught up in the throne room of heaven, you would know that you belong to this family because your most atrocious sins have been forgiven. You have been set free from that way of life and ushered into the kingdom of God. And you belong here. You really belong here. Because the love of God in Jesus Christ is wider than any sin you've committed. It is higher than any, any attempt that you have made to reach God. He just surrounds us. We cannot out-sin God's grace. How many of us need that word today? Yeah. We get entangled in our sins, don't we? And yet, in the midst of our sin, God's grace is there. But I worry. I know I'm supposed to trust God, but I'm anxious. It's okay. Jesus' grace is wider than your anxiety. But I'm full of greed. In fact, I'm pretty selfish. It's okay. Jesus', Jesus love goes deeper than our selfishness does. I'm caught up in, in body image issues. I look at myself and, and I think disgusting thoughts about who I am and, and I don't like myself very much. Love of Jesus Christ surrounds you, holding you, that even those thoughts can't push you away from his love. But I'm entangled in pornography. I, I look at it all the time. I can't get away from it. It's on my phone. It's on my computer. It, if anyone knew, if God really knew, in Jesus Christ you are forgiven. Your sins are no longer what defines you. You are welcomed in this family. But all sorts of things that I can't even mention, Lord, are in my heart and in my mind. Yes, I know. And the love of Jesus Christ covers them. His death and resurrection so that you would be released from the most atrocious sin that you can imagine. The darkness that's in your heart sets each of us free. This is not just Paul's word, word to the Ephesians. It is, it is God's word to us. 
Name your sin. Take a moment. I'll be quiet. Just take a moment. In your heart, name the sin that you think is unforgivable. That you think, I can't let this go because it's too great. It's too heavy. It's too much. Take a moment and name it. death of Jesus Christ covers that sin. The blood of Jesus Christ that we will pour out and taste in a minute covers over, washes over, cleanses that sin. We are being set free by the love of God in Jesus Christ so that as we are in the presence of God the Father, we need not fear We need not fear that our sins will be exposed, that somehow we will be discovered and deemed unworthy and kicked out. Instead, as we taste this bread and we taste the cup, we get to remember and believe that the love of God the Father in Jesus Christ our Lord covers all of our sins completely, allowing us to be at peace in God's presence. After this, and we'll talk about it after Christmas and New Year, Paul makes a transition. He makes a transition to talk about having been saved by God's grace, forgiven completely, how then do we live? But it is really critical for us to realize that before Paul ever gets to the how then shall we live, He dwells on this point, that we are saved by grace, completely forgiven of all of our sins. This is the good news, that in Jesus Christ there is no longer anything we have done, anything we have thought, any relationship we have been in or that we have destroyed that can separate us from the love of God the Father that is in Christ Jesus Lord. The gospel doesn't get any simpler than that. This is the good news. You, and you, and you, and you, and you, all of us, all of us together, have been saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And there is no longer any reason We have trained ourselves to see how sinful and broken we are. Your church has been doing this all along. We don't know how to get rid of our sin. And even when we hear the good news of grace, we have such a hard time believing that it could really be true. Help us to know that you love us, that you have forgiven us. Let that word of grace sink deep into our hearts today. 
release us from our sins. Not just from doing them, Lord. Not just from the consequences of our sins. But release us from seeing ourselves as being unworthy to you because of our sins. Let us instead see ourselves wrapped up in the grace of Christ, washed clean by his blood, our sins forgiven and removed from us. Help us to see that we really do belong in your home because of your love for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death and resurrection by which we have been set free and in which you are building your church. In his name we pray, amen.